Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, that you have given it to us as a light, God, that lights our path. Uh, as you give it to us as an encouragement. You give it to us as a tool that will challenge us, but also build us up and edify us. And so, Lord, we just pray that your word would do its work this morning. And uh, we just ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Amen. Okay, I gotta, I gotta try to remain calm and quiet today because the wife is sleeping downstairs. She's got off. The boys have off, and we gotta let them sleep. So I'm gonna do my best to remain reserved. But you know me, it's probably not gonna happen. I'm probably gonna wake them up anyways, and uh, it just is what it is. All right, Genesis chapter 14, the NIV version, verse one. At the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elassar, Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shanab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. Verse 3, all these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Dead Sea Valley. For 12 years, they had been subject to Kedor Laomer, but in the 13th year, they rebelled. In the 14th year, Kedor Laomer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Raphites, the Raphite, Raphaites, in the Ashtaroth Karnaim, the Suzites in Ham, and the Emites in the Shava Karit, get that word, Karithium, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh. And they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, Tidal king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Eleazar. Four kings against five. Verse 10. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them and rest, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, 
Then they went away. They also carried Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. A man, a man who had escaped, this verse 13, came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in, to pursu in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hoba, north of Damascus. Verse 16, he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Kedorle Amor and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is, King's Valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High creator of heaven and earth and praise be to god most high who delivered your enemies into your hand then abram gave him a tenth of everything the king of sodom said abram give me the people and keep the goods for yourself but abram said to the king of sodom with raised hand i have sworn an oath to the lord god most high creator of heaven and earth that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Verse 24, I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. To Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them have their share. All right. A Amen. Amen. Hey, I tried, y'all. I tried with these names. I tried. It is, it is a blessing. It is a blessing. There are so many great things to, to learn about names in the Bible, but those names just weren't it, y'all. Those names just weren't it. <laughs> All right, let's get through this. All right. In chapter 14 is one of the first places in the book of Genesis that touches a point of history. Right, this passage casts against great battles and empires that are of great names. And these men mentioned in chapter 14, they really are historical figures that are well known from the monuments of their period, right? And this is the first time we get to see uh like historical figures that are backed up by history in chapter 14. All these great kings with all these weird names are actually people of significance in history. And yet, as we read this chapter, uh, you have to get impressed that these are only specific incidences of the story, right? As we read this chapter, what we realize is that these are specific incidences of this story, but we don't have a lot of detail in regards to these great empires and these great kings in this chapter. 
And I believe that's because God is preoccupied, not so much with the kings and the story, but God's preoccupation, preoccupation is with Abram and Abram's walk with him, right? And so that's when Abram enters the story, that's the significant part of the story. Because what God is really concerned with is the heart of the man that he has called out, Abram, the heart of Abram, the man he's called out of his own land from his own people and made a covenant with, right? Though Abram was a nobody, God called him out of an obscure place to make him somebody. And that is the beauty of our God, that he takes people who are nobody, right? He could have chosen any one of those kings, but he takes people who are nobody and he makes them somebody. He takes people who have nothing special about them and he becomes the special within them, right? He takes people who have this natural uh, thing about them and God really uses them under his supernatural power. So what God is really concerned with is the heart of Abram the man that he has called out, you know, he is a lot like Paul who described himself as someone who was unknown. And yet he is well known because in God's eyes, he is an important figure. He's a strategic, a strategic figure who had a great impact upon his time and continues to this day to have a sort of an impact, right? Everyone knows who Abram is in Genesis chapter 14. Abram was returning from this slaughter of four kings in Mesopotamia, right? Their names were Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elassar, uh, Kedor Laomar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim. These kings, these four kings align themselves and just slaughter all the people of the land, right? And it is like this most horrific scene ever. Uh, their names have no real significance to us. However, they were well known for that time. And these men had carried out ra a raid on the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities to the south of the Dead Sea. And after years of paying tribute to the Mesopotamian kings, five kings decided, you know what, we are absolutely tired with this crap. Right. Like we're not going to stand for this anymore because the king, Kedor Laomer, he gets greedy and he starts plundering lands and stuff. Right. So they said, you know what? The king of Sodom said, I have had enough. And he gathers up five kings with him. And those five kings and their kingdoms, their armies go against the four kings who were uh, plundering them and still come up short. Right in verse and uh, verse 10 of chapter 14, it says, now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into the into them and the rest fled to the hills. Five kings, five kingdoms could not defeat four kings who were uh, who were dominating over them. Right. But then the Bible says that one of those men is able to escape. In verse 13, we see a man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother, and Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. 
when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as far as Dan. Verse 15, during the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hoba, north of Damascus. Verse 16, he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. So five kings and their armies could not defeat the four kings and their armies, but someone escapes, runs to Lot, or runs to Abram, and lets Abram know what's going on in the land and how his family member, his nephew Lot, had been taken captive. And what I love about Abram is that when Abram finds out about the trouble that his nephew is in, Abram doesn't sit idly by. And you have to know that at the, up to this point, him and Lot were divided, right? Up to this point, Lot went his way, Abram went his way. But what I love about Abram is that when he sees his family in trouble, when he sees Lot in trouble, when he hears about the trouble that Lot is facing, Abram rises up to the occasion and stands in the gap. He rises up to the occasion and says, no, I'm not going to let Lot suffer. He rises up to the occasion to say, no, I'm not going to let Lot fight this battle by himself, right? He, he, he rises up to the occasion to fight for someone else. And I believe that we could learn from that. I believe that we could learn to fight for one another, to leave no man behind. To stand in the gap for those who can't stand in the gap for themselves. To let the enemy know that we will not stand for his schemes. That although he comes to kill, to steal, and destroy, we will not allow it to happen within our brotherhood. We will not allow it to happen within our family. We will not allow it to happen uh, to those that we have direct influence with, right? I think we could learn to stand in the gap for one another. But what I love about this story is that Abram, with 318 men, was able to do what five kings with their entire armies could not. Think about that. What Abram was able to accomplish was significance, right? He did it in an unbelievable way. Abram didn't have five kingdoms and five armies with him he had a very small force of less than 400 people of less than 400 men and he took four kings he took on four kings and their entire armies with 318 trained men born in his household and this is encouraging because it reminds us that if god be for us who could be against us we could do more with God on our side than we can do with people, with, with, with the kingdoms of this world. We can do more with God on our side than we can with our own strength, with our own ability, with our own capacities. We can do more with God on our side, right, than we can with our own effort in our own resources. I love the fact that God demonstrates his faithfulness and his goodness 
to say, hey, you can have the world come against you, but with me on your side, all you need is a small factor of faith, right? You could have 318 men and take on the world if God is on your side. Man, there's nothing impossible for our God. And that should encourage us because I think that so many of us would be, would feel like we would in Abram's place. You ever feel like the world is against you? You ever feel like the circumstances you face are too great for you? You ever feel like the obstacles you face outnumber and outweigh your capacity to be able to overcome them? Listen to me. With God on your side, with trust in the Savior, God is faithful. He is good. He will never leave us. He will never abandon us. He will give us the strength. He will give us the strength that we need. He is the one who fulfills his promises. And we see that that is true as we continue the story. Abram is not only able to defeat the four kings, but he's able to save Lot. He's able to save and uh, all the, the plunder, right? The treasure that they had taken, everything that they had plundered. He was able to get that back. And he's able to save the king of Sodom and his people too, right? And so what we see after Abram defeats these four kings with his 318 men, it says in verse 17 that after Abram returned from defeating Kedor Laomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. This is the king's valley. In verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Right? So after Abram defeats these kings, these four kings, he is now met with two kings. Right? He has the king of Sodom who comes out to meet him. And as the king of Sodom comes out to meet him, we're introduced to this second king, Melchizedek, of the place of a place called Salem, right? Which was the ancient word for Jerusalem, right? So Melchizedek, there's a lot that we could learn from this guy. There isn't a lot of history on Melchizedek. He's only mentioned a few times in the Bible. We don't know where he comes from. There's no genealogy given of him. He's not tied in with anyone that we know about. He just appears and he disappears, right? We have this very brief mention of this king. He's never heard of again in history, except for when he is referred to in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 and Psalms 110, which is a messianic psalm that is talking about the Messiah and Melchizedek is referred to as a picture of what the Messiah would be. And I'll explain that in a second. We could find his name two more times in scripture. That's Hebrews 7 and Psalm 110. However, historically, we know nothing about this guy. We don't know who he is. Where does he come from? What is the significance of this brief meeting with Abram? But there are a lot of things that we could learn about Melchizedek from this passage. Number one, we're told that he's a king, right? We're told that he's a king. And Abram met this king in the king's valley, the Kidron, 
just to the east of Jerusalem. In the book of 2 Samuel, this is identified as the king's valley. We also know about Melchizedek that he was the king of Jerusalem because Salem was the ancient name of Jerusalem. So Melchizedek was one of the Canaanite kings of the city of Jerusalem, and he met Abram as Abram was returning from this conflict, right? Melchizedek gave Abram two things, bread and wine, bread and wine, right? Now, you have to remember the situation. Abram had been involved in a pretty crazy battle. He traveled long and hard, right? His men were probably tired and hungry. And at just the right time, Melchizedek meets their need by giving them bread and wine. And this is why I believe, one of the reasons I believe, David points to Melchizedek and says that Jesus, the Messiah, will be of the order of Melchizedek. There's two reasons. Number one, right, because Melchizedek, we find out in this passage that he was both a king and a priest. He was both a king and a priest, which for that time was extremely unusual. This was a huge deal because it wasn't something that was normal. Nowhere in Israel do you ever see, do you have any other example of these two offices being combined, right? Kings and priests were separate. These offices were divided because kings might be tempted to use the spiritual or religious power to gain political power over the people. But here we have Melchizedek who is both a king and a priest, a man who represents God to the people, but also represents the people to God. Does that remind you of anybody? A man who rules over the people, but would also stand in the gap for the people. Melchizedek is a type of Jesus, right? Who would one day rule. He is the Messiah. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is our savior who rules over his people, but he's also our high priest who represents us before the Lord, who stands in the gap, who gives himself as a sacrifice for our sin. What I love about Melchizedek is just like our Lord, Melchizedek shows up just at the right time to provide for Abram, to give Abram sustenance, but to also bless Abram. Look what he says. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, right? And he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram, the God by God most high. So he provides sustenance for Abram and his men. But then he blesses Abram and he says, blessed be Abram by God most high creator of heaven and earth and then look what he says in verse 20 and praise be to god most high who delivered your enemies into your hand reminder abram that you are where you are because of god reminder abram that the victory that you experience in your life is because of god reminder abram that you are 
where you are and you would not be able to make it to where you are had it not been for the Lord. Reminder, Abram, that God is faithful. Reminder, Abram, that God has promised, right, that he would deliver you from the hands of your enemies and that you would one day be a father to the nations, that you would one day rule over everything, right? And then it says verse 20, after verse 20, it says, then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So Abram's response when he meets this priest king was to offer up a sacrifice and to give him a tenth of everything, right? We've been learning through the, through the blessed life to give God our tithes, our offerings, to give him a tenth of what we earn, to give God our first fruits. And Abram's response was just that. God has blessed me, right? He has delivered me from my enemies. Now I'm going, instead of keeping everything that I have received from my plunder to myself, I'm going to offer up a tenth of everything. And then in verse 21, we have a different king show up, and that is the king of Sodom. And he says to Abram, Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Isn't that just like the enemy, right? We've got one king who points us to God, right? Who reminds us of God's faithfulness, who, who says, rather than keep all of the plunder, let's give thanks to God and remember the promises, right? Then you have another king who shows up to Abram who says, hey, you could keep everything, just give me the people, right? Isn't that just like the enemy? To, to, to tempt us to keep all of the blessings that God has given us for ourselves. And for Jesus to say, and this is where we see the, 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 the dynamics, the difference between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. This is where we see the dynamics between what the world calls us to do versus what Jesus encourages us to do, right? While the world says, hey, keep for yourself, Jesus says, hey, give not just of yourself, but give to others, right? Now, don't just keep it to yourself, but give, right? Jesus teaches us to, to live generously, to remember the faithfulness and the goodness of God, while the enemy says, hey, Keep everything to yourself. But what I love about Abram is that he points us to Jesus, right? Abram, in this moment, points us to Jesus in this way, in that he resists temptation, right? He resists temptation. Look what he does in verse 22. After the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourselves, Verse 22 says, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not accept, that I will accept nothing belonging to you. Abram, in that moment, could have kept everything for himself, but he resisted temptation and he remembered the promise that he made to the Lord that he will take nothing, and that he would trust in God and God alone. And I want to encourage you, 
no matter what this world has to offer you, no matter what the enemy has to offer you, what God has for you is so much greater. Abram could have taken the easy route. He knew that God had a promise on his life. He knew that God promised him that he would have his own land. He knew that God promised that he would bless him, right? And rather than trying to obtain that blessing on his own, Abram said, nope, I'm going to surrender to God's will. So he resists temptation, but he also surrenders to God's will, just as Jesus did, right? When he says, I have raised and I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God, most high creator of heaven and earth, that I will take, that I will accept nothing, that I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men of who, who went with me to Anner, Eshkol, and Mamre, Mamre, let them have their share, right? So he resists temptation. He surrenders to God's will. And he endures the cross, right? And what I mean by he endures the cross, he endures, he he. He willingly puts himself through the process rather than taking the easy way out. He says, no, no, no. I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm going to let the people have their share. I don't need anything as long as I have God on my side. What God said he's going to do, he's going to do. And so, therefore, I have sworn an oath to him that I will take nothing and I will take nothing lest you are able to say that I am rich because of you right? I'm not going to give the world the credit. I'm not going to give the king of Sodom the credit. I'm not going to give the enemy the credit. The only one who will ever deserve the credit for the blessed life that I have belongs to God. Everything I have is because of him. Everything I will have will be because of him. Everything I accomplish is because of him. Everything I will accomplish is because of him. And we will not give the enemy the ability to say that he has anything over us because we have put our trust, our faith, our hope, and our confidence in the only source of our providence, which is God himself. Amen. So let's be like Abram. Let's be like Abram. Let's trust God to give us the victory over all of our enemies. Let's be like Abram and stand in the gap for those who can't stand in the gap for themselves. Let's be like Abram and give to God what belongs to him. Let's be like Abram and remain faithful, resist temptation, surrender to God's will, and endure the process, and endure the process of what God is doing in our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for you guys. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, God, that you are our king, and that you are our priest, that you rule over us but you also stand in the gap for us. God, I thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross to provide us with salvation, to forgive us of our sins. God, I pray that we would remain faithful to you. God, I pray that we would not forget where our help comes from, that we would not forget where our provision comes from, but that we would stand firm in our faith and put our trust in you, refuse to take the easy way out, and to trust and believe that you will protect us, that you will provide for us, that you will 
uh, allow us to have victory over all of our enemies. God, we love you. We trust you. We honor you. Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen.